Welcome to Podcast at Boatwright. I am Lucretia McCulley, Head of Scholarly Communications at Boatwright Library. Our author today is Melissa Uten, Associate Director of the Will Program. Dr. Uten is the author of Race, Gender, and Film Censorship in Virginia, 1922 through 1965, published recently by Lexington Books. This book chronicles the history of movie censorship in Virginia from the 1920s to 1960s and analyzes the project of state film censorship in Virginia. Melissa, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Lucretia. So to start off our conversation, what inspired you to write on this particular topic? Well, I grew up in the South. And I've always had an interest in popular culture. So when I got to graduate school, and this is a project that actually began in graduate school, I was very interested in the civil rights movement in particular, ways in which men and women of color in the South worked together to create legal and social change in the 1950s and 1960s. And I became really interested in this concept of the long civil rights movement, which is about looking beyond what we think of as the traditional civil rights narrative and moving beyond the 1950s and 1960s. And as I started to research, I found a lot of work had been done on the 1920s and 1930s and 1940s in terms of economic inequality and legal inequality and political inequality. But there seemed to be quite a gap in terms of popular culture. How did popular culture play into these debates? So I found an amazing set of archives mm -hmm. on Virginia's Movie Censorship Board at the Library of Virginia. And I thought they offered a real window into yet another way to think about movements for social justice in the civil rights movement. So that was my intent to use those archives to think about how popular culture and state regulation of the popular culture worked in tandem with some of the regulations we were seeing in terms of economics, politics, and the legal system at the time. Thank you. That's fascinating. Um, and how can the University of Richmond community use this book to address issues of race and gender on campus? As a historian, I'm a big believer in historical case studies, and I think what this case study shows is that there are always folks pushing for inclusivity on a number of different levels, and I think we've made great gains on our campus in terms of being as inclusive a community as possible, but I also think there's always room for improvement. So I think this offers us um, yet another nuanced way of thinking about inclusivity um, in this in this study it's around popular culture but in terms of thinking through inclusivity in a number of different levels and how uh, we can look to the past for pathways hopefully to the future and did students assist you with the research and preparation of this book what students really brought to this project were fresh perspectives and pushing me to analyze a topic in different ways. So I taught two particular courses, one on activism in the 20th century South and one on gender and popular culture. And in both of these courses, students brought fresh eyes to this material. I would have mm -hmm. them read about it and think about it. and. A book project like this is a years-long project, so as the primary researcher, I feel like sometimes 
I need fresh eyes to look at it and fresh minds to think about it in new and different ways because I've spent so much time with it, I start analyzing it through particular lenses and particular frameworks, and I may miss other important ways to look at the subject. So I think students who are particularly great in helping me think through fresh ways and new ways of thinking about this, and students are so good with popular culture. They're uh, very good interpreters of popular culture. And even though we were talking about popular culture in the 1920s and 30s and 40s, they could bring their insights of how they analyze popular culture today back 80 and 90 years to analyze what was happening then. And that was a great way to bring them into the scholarly conversation as Absolutely. Well. And yeah. it was very useful to me. And how would you envision undergraduate students using the book for their study and research? Well, like I said, I think if they're interested in social movements in general, mm -hmm. it gives them a different way to think about the different elements that go into a social, social movement. So it's not only economics and politics and the legal system, right? There are other things like culture and popular culture in particular that play into it, how movement leaders manipulate culture, how the state may manipulate that culture. So I'm hoping it would give them fresh insight um, into looking at social movements in general. I also think there's quite a bit about technology in the book and some of the more recent uh, chapters that I wrote in it really focused on the way censorship and technology have changed. So when I started the project several years ago, we did not have YouTube. Mm -hmm. We did not have streaming services like Netflix and Hulu. So I think helping them think through the changing technology and how it impacts censorship issues, and not to say that it deletes censorship issues. There are always issues around how things get mediated and made and produced that one could possibly classify as censorship. But it's really a whole new world in terms of analyzing consumption and censorship of popular culture today than it was when your only option was to walk down to the local movie theater and see something on a screen. So I think it can help them think about how revolutionary this change has been in within certainly their lifetimes. Yes, fantastic. And our last question, how did library services support you in writing this book? Library services is essential to any project like this one in terms of hunting down obscure sources that may exist in an archive many states away, and also in keeping up with the historiography. So when I started this project more than a decade ago, and then I put it aside for a while. So coming back, it was very important for me to find and read all the new historiography and library services are amazing at tracking down all the recent publications that pertain to this topic. Um, and I will also say, because this project spanned different institutions, um, the archives were housed in the Library of Virginia, which is this amazing resource that we just happened to have in the city of Richmond. So I also would encourage folks if they haven't taken advantage of those collections, particularly archival collections of state agencies. Um, there's this really wealth of knowledge that's just a few miles away in downtown Richmond. Right, no, I certainly agree. Richmond is just a wealth of historical material. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Dr. Uten, for your conversation today. Race, Gender, and Film Censorship in Virginia, 1922 to 1965, is available in Boatwright Library, and it's available for sale on Amazon.